Amen. So much is happening in Hebrews. Um, Jesus is really speaking to us. We're hearing a preacher preach to us, and it's all about the fact that Jesus is better. That's why we have uh, a phone as our image for the series. And and we've said early on, like there's all these little like themes that we're getting through um, as we walk through Hebrews. And so each of the theme, you can almost envision it like an app. You know, it's like it's like you get into that and you you hit the app, and now you're in that world. Uh, just this morning, I had AJ help me. We put on the new app that we're getting into, which is the High Priest app. Uh, this is what it looks like. It's really all about, for the next few chapters, what does it mean that Jesus is our High Priest? And this is really, uh, we, we, we began that last week with the High Priest shuffle, just starting to get moving along with, with what this song is. And now this morning is, is like an expansion. It's a, it's a head, you know, a dive into this topic. So look with me at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. I won't have each of the verses on the screen, but I hope you're following along. I'm going to do not much more than just walk you through each of these verses, and and hopefully it's going to be encouraging as we think about what it means to have a pastor, what it it means to have an imperfect pastor, and then is there such a thing as a perfect pastor? So Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, let's read it. Um, I'll read it. You can read along uh, with me and uh, just listen in. Hebrews 5 verse 1 says this, every high priest, every high priest, there it is again, every high priest or every pastor is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. What this verse is telling us right away is that a pastor is a person of the people. Kids, this is your first blank. A pastor is a person of the people. A pastor is a person who is in awe at the beauty of God's church. A pastor is someone who is in love with and obsessed with the local church, and especially with the people who are a part of that local church. A pastor is a person who cares for you. A pastor is a person who thinks about you. A pastor is someone who can keep your secrets. We all have secrets. Those are supposed to be safe with a pastor. A pastor is someone who walks with you in your pain. It's someone who you can trust even when everyone else is turning their back on you. Yes, a pastor at times has to tell you that you are wrong has to explain that you are currently in sin, but we do it as an encouragement to you so that you can grow. A pastor should listen to you when you just need to say something, or maybe you've got to scream something, or maybe you've got to shout because you're angry, you're confused. Maybe you have some questions. Maybe you have some doubts. For some of us, we have a lot of doubts. That's what we pastors are here for. A pastor must not be haughty, or high-handed, or dismissive to you, or rude. If a pastor has not love, he's worse than annoying, he is nothing. pastor must have love. A pastor should not get angry with you. A pastor should never be impatient with you, never be irritated with you. A pastor is a person who loves you for you, and loves what God is doing in you, and in your life, and and, and continues to push you to where you need to be. A pastor will hold you accountable, will say, let's take the next step. Now time to move, time to grow, time to keep moving towards that finish line that God is bringing you to. A pastor is a person of the people. 
While most every other person on the planet is called to work outside the church, praise God that most of you are doing that, um, the pastor is different. Most of you are just 24-7. You're involved in the toil of the world. You're, you're in the dust and the heat of the day and in Massachusetts and in the, in the coldness of the day. You sweat at your work and you serve at the counter and you type at the desk and you make the wheels of industry go round and you cook dinner when people need to eat and you're running around to a million different places and you pay the bills and you're trying to help out when you can, trying to lend a hand. In some months you barely make ends meet, in some weeks you hardly sleep, in some days you never get a break. Your pastors are here to lift you up. As you follow your calling in the world, each of us has our own calling. Hebrews 5.1 says you need a pastor to represent you in matters related to God. Your pastor needs to be level-headed, walking you out of that trouble. If you're in the pit, the pastor's the one who steps into that pit with you and says, hey, let's, let's do this together. Church, you need someone to remind you what is eternal, You need someone to exhort you, don't give up. Keep up that witness. Keep creating. Keep innovating. Keep showing God's love to the world. Stay faithful. Don't stop running the race. I know you're tired. I know you're insecure. I know you feel weak. I know it's been a a very weird year, but God's got you. The pastor is to be a person of the people. There is to be a shared experience for all of us. The pastor must also, as he shares that experience, somehow set himself apart. A pastor is required to go deep into the secret place of God and come back every Sunday at minimum, and oftentimes it's through the week. I gotta have a word for you from scripture. You gotta hear the gospel preached, church. This was, this was true from the time the church began. Acts 6-4 says, they devoted themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That is what a pastor must do. A pastor doesn't just walk with you. He doesn't just listen to you. A pastor is devoted to praying for you. Do you know, church, that I pray for you? Do you know there are times in the morning and there are times in the afternoon and there are times at night where I turn everything off and I lift you up to our maker? Do you know you are on my prayer list and on Pastor Tom's prayer list, your name exists on my desktop. You have a bullet point in my agenda for talking with God. The church directory with your face on it, if you're a member of Holden Chapel, then you are on my prayer list. You are my prayer list. A pastor is a person of the people because a pastor is someone who prays for you, but not just praying. A pastor's got to preach every once in a while. And I know some of the Baptists in here with, with those Baptist roots, you say, yeah, and Pastor Mike, if you danced a little bit less every once in a while, that'd be great too. But I got to be up here. I got to preach to you. I got to give you an experience of God's word. And if a pastor's going to preach, a pastor's got to study Whether I want to or not, I got to be willing to toil in the text for you. I got to study.
stare at God's word. I got to meditate on God's word. I got to get out my big study books sometimes in order to understand it. I got to write drafts and then I got to edit my drafts and then I got to edit my drafts some more and then I got to throw that one away and start over because the spirit of God is doing something else and he's bringing us to a new place. Because if I'm going to communicate more than just my opinions, more than just my ideas, more than just my personality and more than just my life experience, if I'm going to give you the meat of God's word, then a pastor has to study it and I got to learn it and I got to figure out how to communicate it to you. Church, that's what a pastor needs to do. I got to go to school for you. I got to keep going to class for you. Pastor Tom's got to continue to do this because we are your pastors. In an article published just this last week, uh, one pastor named Jared Wilson, he puts it like this. He says, church folk, expect and encourage your leaders to tend to your intellectual and spiritual development. I love this, this line here. We want our pastors to be brimming with the Bible. You need someone who's brimming with the Bible. It is for their good and our good that they do. He continues, he says, we want pastors not to become sick with hurry and drowning in the anxiety of pr- productivity and efficiency that only infects us with the same. Here's what he says. We want our pastors to stare out the window and think. That's what we pay them for, and that's what will pay off for us in the long run. Sometimes a pastor just has to stare out the window for what seems like an eternity. Did you know that sometimes I stare out the window for you? Pastor Tom does it too. I've seen him do it. We both have windows in our office. We pastors, we wait on God. We just stare and we, we just talk to him because, because you don't need more of us. You don't need, you, you, what you need is you need more of God, church. You don't need Pastor Mike's word. You don't need Pastor Tom's word. You need God's word. As good as Pastor Tom's word is, actually, Tom, you're looking a little bit different. You almost look more wise today. I think Pastor Tom had a birthday recently. You should say happy birthday to him. Um... But sometimes, even as we get wiser, we don't know what to do. We don't know what God is doing, so we have to stare out the window. Sometimes we don't know how to communicate God's word to you, to you so we just, we, we, we just get lost. We fall short. We get tongue-tied. We get a brain freeze. It's Saturday night, and we don't have a sermon quite yet. We're in a conversation, and this is hard, and we don't always know what to say. We're walking through life with you, so we stare out the window. We say, God, how do I communicate this beautiful truth to your beautiful people? God, help me not to fall short. God, is what, what is your spirit doing in us right now? God, how can I help us to be a part of that? God, I wait upon you because you want to work on these people. A pastor is a person of the people. That's Hebrews 5.1. Can you tell I love this passage already, church? And how does a pastor relate to his pe- people? Hebrews chapter 5 verse 2 tells us, look what it says, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. Personal testimony here, which shows the truth of this verse. I want to tell you the true story of the lunchbox fiasco that happened this last Wednesday morning in the Penza household. Speaking of pastors being weak, 
7.30 in the morning, 7.15, in between 7, 7 o'clock and 7.30 is one of the worst times in our house because we've got, everyone's trying to get ready for, for work. You know, Kaylin's trying to get ready for work. I'm trying to get ready for work. Our girls are awake. We're eating. And, and we got to make lunch boxes. The problem with lunch is you got to have lunch every day. And lunch, making lunch for our kids is the bane of our existence. It is the worst. Like 85% of all of our marital conflict happens at this time. Kaylin's always like, Mike, why do I have to be the one who's always making the lunch? And because I just don't have a, like, a response to that, I'm like, I don't know. I just avoid that. But she's, con- she's like doing a million things and she's making lunches. And she's, there's like all these little like places that you can put all these different foods in there. And she like spoils the girls because there's like 93 different foods in this one lunchbox. I don't know how she does it. She even makes lunches for me. Because, because I just don't want to. And because, I don't know, it's her job. And so she makes a lunch for me and, and she even puts it in a bag. She'll put it right in the counter so that I don't have to think about it as I'm running out the door, bringing the girls to school. It's there for me. So the last couple times she's made a lunch, she forgot to put my lunch box after she did it all in the lunch bag. So. Guess what I do at like 7.15 in the morning is as she's literally like buttering my sandwich and she's making lunch, I went up to her and I said, hey, you know, just wanted to remind you, it's fine if you, if you remember to put my lunchbox in my bag. Now, raise your hand if you think that was a really good idea for me to do that at that moment. My two oldest girls were right there and they were just like, oh gosh, let's watch this one. They're just like standing there. And Kaylin has this face and she's like, what? And, and I'm not going to give you the whole thing, but like lunch was being thrown at different points. And, um, and, and I was like, it was the wrong time. Eventually I had to apologize later on in the day. I can't believe that I said that. I can't believe I did that at that time. Like that was just completely unfair. I'm not even making my own lunch, but, 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 but that was just this last Wednesday morning. Church, it is easy for me to be gentle with you because I need people to be gentle with me. You think you screw up? You should see my mornings. You think you get off track? You should see my driving record. You think your sins are bad? You haven't heard my whole stories. How can I be harsh with you when your sins are almost exactly the same as my own? I am not a spiritual hero, church, and you don't have to be either. Therefore, I should never beat you over the head. I should, we as pastors, we should, we never delight in lecturing you. We do not point our finger at you. We do not scowl. We do not laugh. We are gentle because when we hear about your sins and we hear about your struggles and your hurts and your pains, we get it because those are the same traps that your pastors can fall into as well. So there is no superiority in a pastor who is from the Lord. We do not lord our power over anyone. In fact, we should get pretty upset when we see that happening. And we should be held accountable, which is why we have elders. There is no mocking. There is no manipulation. Only gentleness and patience to those of you who are going astray. Because pastors are no better than the people who sit in the pews. Throw away the celebrity culture, please. Pastors are no better than those who are sitting in the pews. Kids, that's your fill in the blank. This explains Hebrews 5 verse 3. 
Hebrews 5 verse 3, look at it on your phones or in your Bible. It says, this is why the priest has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. That means all of us are in this together. Your sins aren't that much different than, than my sins or Pastor Tom's sins. My failures are similar to yours. I may be behind this pulpit, but I am just as in need of salvation as you are. Our sin is corporate. My bad is your bad. Your bad is my bad. Each of us has failed. None of us has this figured out. So when you need to worship God, I need to worship God. When you repent, I repent. When you, when you need to hear God's words preached, I had to preach it to myself first. A pastor must be humble, recognizing his need for a savior. In fact, I'm so broken that I couldn't even be a pastor if God didn't first call me to it. Look what Hebrews 5 verse 4 says. It says, and no one takes this honor on himself. But he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. Aaron did not choose himself. He's that, that famous Old Testament high priest. God chose him. You can read the story of it in Exodus 28, but I'll give you the wiki version. God basically said, I want that one. And so then God got that one. That's how Aaron became a priest. Aaron didn't raise his hand. He didn't get voted on as if this was some sort of a democracy or some sort of a popularity contest. While the pastoral calling always needs to be affirmed by the congregation, right, by the community, it originates from God himself. What that means is that I'm not here because I'm super special. I'm not here because I signed up for it. I'm not even here because you all voted for, for me to come in. I'm here, and Pastor Tom is here because God put us here for such a time as this. God is in charge of giving you your pastors. Isn't that so reassuring, church? Think about the alternative. If God is not the one making this happen, then all of this, man, all of this is just really all that we're doing here. It's just man-made mumbo-jumbo. Without God, all you have left is religion, and who needs that? I have never heard of a kid asking for Christmas, can I have some more religion? No one needs more of that. Without God, our hopes would be in a few people. That doesn't work in the political realm, and it certainly doesn't work in the church. How sad would that be if the future of our church depended on a few ordinary men who served as your pastors? Pastors don't pick themselves. God does the calling. Church, God is the one who does this. In fact, this was even true for the greatest pastor of all time, Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews 5, verse 5 and 6. Look at it in your, in your phone. Look at it in your Bible. It says, in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to Jesus, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is a mystery. Somehow, Jesus, who is fully God, he's lived forever. At some point in time, Jesus received a call to ministry from God, his father. It actually happened about 2,000 years ago. God the Father said to Jesus the Son, now's the time. Jesus, now's the time, Son. Time to move. I'm going to make you into a priest forever. 
Apparently all this priestly setup in the Old Testament was a preparation for when that true priest would come. If we never had priests and pastors before Jesus, then we wouldn't even know our need for it. Why do I need a pastor? Why do I even need a priest? Can't I figure it out on my own? We wouldn't have been able to see the significance of what Jesus was about to do. All of human history was building towards Jesus coming down into the flesh, being the perfect priest that we had all been waiting for because Aaron made a few mistakes, didn't he? Just like every other pastor this world has ever known. The concept of the high priesthood of Jesus was sitting at the center of history itself. It was all a plan to show how beautiful Jesus' work would be. And as a side note, that, that Melchizedek stuff in verse 6 and in verse 10, that's really just going to be building curiosity and tension for the hearers. The author is preparing us for something that is coming. He wants us to be like, well, well that's interesting. Who in the world is that? You know, Melchizedek, who? I feel like I've heard of maybe him, but I, I just, I don't know. What are you saying? What's going on? The author is doing it on purpose. He's going to answer that question in Hebrews chapter 7. So just take that Melchizedek stuff, put it in your back pocket. We'll be there soon. For now, I just want to dive into the, the heart of the message, which is in verses 7, 8, and 9. We're about to find out why we've been receiving a history lesson on what pastors are good for. This lesson isn't given so that you'd worship or be awed by your human pastors. Actually, it's kind of like meant to do the opposite. If you can grasp the importance of pastoral ministry for your life and what a true pastor really is supposed to be like, what a true pastor really does, then you will see all the more clearly why it's important that Jesus is your high priest and Jesus is the greatest pastor this world could ever have. Look what it says in Hebrews 5, verse 7. Here we go. Here's the core of it. During the day of Jesus' life on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. This verse is saying when Jesus came for you, Jesus gave it all. Jesus was all in for you. Jesus' pastoral ministry was no joke. While you're human pastors, we pray for you. Jesus wept for you. Sometimes the best your earthly pastor can do for you is just stare out the window because we're like, how do I do this? What do I say? How can I walk with these beautiful people? But Jesus goes much further. Jesus sweats drops of blood for the church. Church, I've never done that for you. I don't even know how you do that. You're so in love with your people that you're sweating drops of blood. Imagine the passion that he has for his church. Jesus didn't whisper to God. Jesus, this verse says he shouted out to God on your behalf. Just as those animals would have cried out on the altar in the Old Testament. So Jesus' voice cracks and it groans for you. Jesus had the power to raise people from the dead. And he did that in his ministry. And he knew he had to use his power to die for the ones that he loved. Every ounce that Jesus had. Every emotion that he had. Every decision that he made. Every part of, of, of who he was and what he did. It revolved around purifying us from our sins. Church, Jesus was obsessed with saving us. Jesus would not take no for an answer. 
In Hebrews 5, 7 says, Jesus was heard by God because of his reverent submission. Jesus lived in such a way God could not deny Jesus' request. He lived a perfect life and he fulfilled every requirement of the law. Jesus could not leave anything to chance. And what did it look like for Jesus to submit to God? It looks exactly like what it looks like for us to submit to God. Look at what Hebrews 5 verse 8 says. It says, son, though he was, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. Now that is not the entirety of the answer to the question of why does suffering exist in this world, but it is a significant part of it. Those of you philosophers in the room, here's one of the best answers. It is shocking that God doesn't help Jesus escape death, but God calls Jesus into the most brutal death imaginable. His only begotten son, this son in whom he was just so well pleased, the son who said, I didn't come to be, sir, to be served. I, I came to, to give my life as a ransom for many. And Jesus' perseverance became richer with each act of obedience all the way till the end. Jesus had to count the cost for you. He had to ask himself, how much are these people worth to me? How badly do I want to create a multi-ethnic intergenerational church? How much do I really want it? How much do I really care? How much am I really passionate about it? How much do I really believe this is the hope of the world? That this, this could be a place that's completely different than any other place in the entire universe? Jesus had to ask those questions. How far am I willing to go for you? How much am I willing to give up so that all nations can be reconciled to God? And Jesus says in John 20, 27, my soul is troubled by these things. And as Jesus obeys God, God calls him into suffering and more suffering and then more suffering and then the worst suffering imaginable. So often we avoid suffering, don't we? We run away from it. We take it as if that's God's failure. We start to feel like we're failures if we're suffering. We do everything we can to get out of the feeling of suffering. Yet this verse equates Jesus' suffering with Jesus' obedience. It's a sobering reminder, church. Sometimes godly obedience leads to godly suffering. I'll tell you what. <laughs> If what you are looking for is a lazy man's detour through life, if you are looking to avoid the serious challenges and just follow well-worn lanes, Christianity is not going to be for you. Christ's call isn't like to step over that crack in the sidewalk. It's to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Jesus with everything that you have. And don't look back. No turning back, no turning back. Jesus was the one who did this first. 
And what is the result? Why is the preacher in Hebrews giving us this history lesson on what human preachers do and then comparing that with how Jesus pastors his people? You start to see all oh, the human pastor pales in comparison. That's the point. Hebrews 5.9 is the point of it all. It's our last verse. We're already almost done already. Verse 9. And once Jesus was made complete, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all who believe and obey him. Once Jesus finished that race, once he got up on that cross and he accomplished the, miss, the mission, it says he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Church, without a perfect pastor, you could not have eternal salvation. That's the point of this passage. Without a perfect pastor, you have no hope for a perfect future. And you can't put that hope on me. You can't put it on Tom. You can't put it on the other humans. That's the point of this passage. If you didn't have Jesus, you couldn't be with God. You'd still be stuck in the world's ways of trying to climb up the ladder of success. You'd still be cowering in the corner with fear. You'd still be unable to move because of the guilt and the regret, the fear that you experience. You'd still be trying to perform your way to the top. You'd still feel like you have to prove yourself, like the world tells you. Trying to find a way out of your own mess. Find a way out of your, you know, pull up, you know, take your bootstraps, pull them up yourself. The weight of the whole world would be on your shoulders if we didn't have a perfect pastor who could take care of all of that. The Old Testament imagery of like people coming forward with their sacrifices, trying to appease God. We modern people do the same thing. We just don't use animals, but we're trying to get our way there, trying to put our hope somewhere where it shouldn't be. And eventually we start to feel crushed. I can't do this. I'm not this person. God isn't going to accept me. I need to, I need to draw back. But the good news is this, Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By Jesus' wounds, you are healed. So why are pastors important? We're important because you need someone to point you to Jesus every once in a while. Even if it's just on a Sunday morning for a couple minutes, it's like, look to Jesus. And why is it important that Jesus is the best pastor of all? Because if you follow him, you can experience complete peace forever. What a beautiful thing. We don't have to put our, our faith on this side of things. Whether I'm on a screen or not, whether there's a huge crowd or there's not, our hope is not on this earth. Our hope is looking to Jesus who is the best pastor this world has ever seen. And the alternative is much worse. Without Christ, all you have is a bunch of broken men giving you broken words and trying to fix things through broken methods. The church is the only place in the world we don't march to the beat of our own drums <laughs> or the words of the human leaders. No, 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 we're singing a different tune. We take our cue from Christ. And Jesus is the one who can get us home. Let's pray and thank God that he sent us a perfect priest whose name is Jesus. Jesus, we thank you so much 
for your pastoral ministry in our lives. God, we don't put our faith in Mike. We don't put our faith in Tom. We don't put our faith in the guy who was here before. We don't even put our faith in the guy who's coming next. God, we put our faith in Jesus. Would you continue to make this a place where the pastors are falling in line with Jesus, that we are good representatives of who Jesus is? God, so that the world would see that we don't have to do this on our own. Jesus came and he paid the price. We can have salvation in Jesus. And that has everything to do with every day. God, I thank you that you have created this church. You've created a place where we can be completely honest and real with our struggles. Without that condemnation. And we can walk together. We can pray together. And we can ask questions together. God, you can lead us home. God, you know I've been feeling that a lot these days. I got to look to you. We got to trust you. God, you're doing something beautiful. We thank you that you are our high priest. I pray even as we go through Easter, we begin to start thinking about Easter and we return to this theme in a few weeks. God, that you would continue to show us how important it is that we have a high priest. And that our high priest is Jesus. God, we pray that the result of this time would be to worship you. God, what do you want to say to us now by your spirit? What do you want to say to each of us? What do we need to hear from you this morning by your spirit? God, would you speak to us now? As we've now just taken in a lot of verses, a lot of information. Would you narrow us in on maybe that one thing that we need to hear or be reminded of this morning and help us to worship you with all that we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.